0: Too late, all oh, the sooner or later it comes down to fate. I might as well be the one. Well, they showed you a statue, told you to pray. They built you a temple and locked you away. Ah, oh, but they never told you the price that you pay for things that you might have done. Only the good. Die young. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Michael Walden. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show I am, well, particularly excited about because whenever one of you intelligent, wonderful people in the audience send me show concepts, they're all so good I have a really hard time trying to decide which one I'm going to do, but this show topic today is all about common misconceptions that I've heard regarding nutritional supplements, how to take them, what they're for, what to expect in terms of how quickly they should work, and all and all other important fundamental concepts of how and why supplements work. And, uh, Regardless of your level of nutrition education, whether you're a beginner, meaning you have uh, you know, some nutrition awareness and you're listening to a show like this to improve your knowledge, or whether or not you have very advanced knowledge, and, and many of you do, because the kinds of questions that I'm getting are just phenomenal. And I'm going to let you in on a, on a little secret. The reason why I do this show, Ask the Blood Detective... Is because it makes me a better practitioner. It makes me a better clinician. You know, I also provide professional level talks at different scientific uh, symposia as well and seminars, and a lot of the the attendees, the other doctors, other nutritionists, practitioners of different types, all kinds, come to these talks. I do them throughout the United States and abroad. There is a another misconception that. Whatever the topic is that I'm talking about, that I've always been an expert in it, and, and that's simply not true. I do the radio show for the very same reason I do these talks. They make me better. You know, years and years ago, uh, I suppose it was a good 20 years ago, Gary Noll gave me a call, and he said, Michael, I'd like you to be on the show tomorrow to talk about hepatitis C. Can you do that? And I've never admitted this to anyone, so here it is on air. And I said, absolutely, Gary, I would be honored, and uh, I'll await your call tomorrow for the show. He says, great, thank you. Hung up. Okay, so I did know a few things about hepatitis C. Uh, I probably could have summarized what I knew in about a paragraph. And uh, so that night, I did not sleep. Up until noon, the show was the next day at noon, and I studied and studied and studied. I... Probably read the equivalent of what an average you know, conscientious nutritional practitioner might read in a year or more. And by the time the, the show had arrived at, at noon the next day, I was very, very comfortable with the idea. And that night, I had literally written a book on hepatitis C, which I then published. So, what I like to do is to challenge myself with this show, Ask the Blood Detective, with putting myself out there on other radio shows, writing articles, and uh, admitting when I don't know a thing. When it comes to this topic today, common misconceptions uh, from beginner to the more advanced individual in terms of knowledge and nutrition, this is a topic and a concept that will add value to your life. It will add increased quality to your life. If you know how to use nutritional supplements correctly, it w- they will add nutritional quality to your life. And they probably will allow you to live longer by helping you offset the early onset of chronic degenerative diseases. So I've got in front of me about hmm, 15 or so questions that I've received from all of you Regarding this topic and as these questions were coming in mixed with all sorts of other questions I realized that the majority of these questions really centered around Conceptual issues with supplements like I said, so let's let's take one question at a time and I'm going to paraphrase, but you know before I hit the first question. I need to tell you another important story Two days ago I'm having a consultation a phone consultation. I do distance consultations with a woman who has uh, cancer. And uh, prior to seeing me, she was in uh, dire straits. She was not gaining weight. She had all sorts of adverse side effects of her chemotherapy. She really did not know the basics of her, her food intake, let alone proper supplementation. Long and short of it is, I put her on a plan, and she gained weight. She was doing very well. And she said to me, she says, Dr. Wald, you know, when I visited my oncologist yesterday, he said, you know, I should probably refer you to a dietitian.' And my my uh, patient did not want to argue with him and say, you know, I already have a dietitian. I'm also a dietitian. I have a, a license in New York State as a dietitian.' So she went to the dietitian, who she said seemed like a nice enough lady, very qualified. And uh, my patient mentioned that she told the dietitian about me. The dietitian looked me up and said, hey, this, this guy's the real deal. But then she said to my patient, I don't know what it is with these people. Why do they always recommend so much vitamin C? She says to my patient, do you know what the recommended daily allowance is for vitamin C? And my patient answers, I think it's about 60 milligrams. She says, well, you don't need more than that. Now, the long and short of it is, again, that... If that dietitian had taken, let me exaggerate, 10 seconds to open up her computer and to type in the web address for the National Library of Medicine and then in the blank little bar on that page type in vitamin C and cancer, she would come up with several hundred articles right there on the page and if you click in on any one of those articles, they will bring you to... They'll open up that article, and then to the right of the page, they'll have four, five, or six additional articles that are similar. And you can click on any one of those, and that'll bring you to another page, which will have another six, seven, or eight articles on the right. It is an unbelievable web of scientific data supporting not just the use of vitamin C, but nutrition in general. And for those of you who haven't listened to my other shows when I mentioned the National Library of Medicine, which is the major one of two major databases that most physicians and and practitioners should be using for their research. There were over three million citations there starting from 1966 to the present. Then the next day after speaking with this uh, patient, another patient says, my mother has cancer. I brought it to the oncologist. The oncologist said one of the first things he said was, get your mother on vitamin C and a lot of it. (laughs) My point here is that Even among healthcare professionals of different types, there is a huge disparity of information and knowledge. The goal of Ask the Blood Detective is to give you reliable knowledge. If there are issues and dangers with nutrition, I will let you know what those are. I am not here pretending that nutrition, in in terms of the use of nutritional supplements, is 100% safe. It is... Imperative, it is important that any healthcare provider, regardless of his or her specialty, whether they're alternative or whether they're traditional medical circles, that we give responsible information. If a patient says to me, Dr. Wald, what do you think about this medication for so and so? I always make it my my business, my goal on behalf of the patient to say, well. Here's what we know about this medication, here's how it's used, these are potential side effects, and if my patients want to use natural means instead, then that is their choice once they've been fully educated with both ends of the spectrum. So when we talk about misconceptions with the use of supplements, they will make the difference between your short and long-term success with your nutritional efforts and you not having them, meaning not having results. I have many people that see me, one of the first things they do is put their big heavy bag of nutrition, nutritional supplements on my desk, say, Dr. World, I take all these. And I, look, I, I take a big bag of supplements as well, but I can't know until I examine the combinations of what they're taking relative to their health problems and other factors if they're doing things right, because feeling great is no evidence that your supplementation and your lifestyle is working. I'm gonna say that again. The fact that you feel great is not strong enough evidence that your health efforts are making a real longevity and quality of life difference. I've had patients that have seen me, before I can even start with them, they'll have a stroke or something happens that they hadn't had a problem before. And that's how a lot of disease works. You feel good one day, then you start not feeling good. Or you feel good one day, and then you have a a horrific major health event, like a stroke, let's say, or a diagnosis of cancer all of a sudden. I had a woman patient for quite a while. I've mentioned her before, I think. Beautiful inside and out. She was riddled with cancer. And uh, she rarely had any sort of symptoms at all. Sometimes a little fatigue. So it is amazing how the body compensates, particularly if there's health problems and what they call perturbations in our biochemistry and our physiology that happen subtly and slowly over time. The body can compensate for them and you feel okay. One more common example, anemia and women or men. Anemia in a woman that results from her menstrual period, uh, loss of iron, would generally have her feel fatigued because there's a quick and and, and, uh, immediate loss of iron and there's no chance for the body to really compensate, so the woman might be fatigued. If iron loss is subtle over a longer period of time, the body can compensate. It might increase its blood sugar, it might increase its autonomic nervous system function, its thyroid function, in other words, there are ways that the body compensates for iron anemia so I have seen women and men that have extremely low iron levels and other tests that are indicators of poor iron status like hemoglobin and hematocrit and something called ferritin, but they have no symptoms at all. But the problem is when you're very, very, very low in iron, that's a cardiovascular stress. It can cause uh, you know heart attack. So the body sometimes does not show us all the signs and symptoms when we we need to see them. So let's start with our first question. What about taking the right supplements? When we talk about taking the right supplements, what I really mean is that it's important that we take the right supplements for the right person in the right circumstances at the right time and in the right way. Because if you take the wrong supplements, well, they're just wrong. So obviously, we need to take the right supplements and figuring out what the right supplements are, fundamentally speaking, come from what are your symptoms? What are your signs? Are you taking any medications? What about your genetics that might impact your nutritional supplements? What are you willing to do? What is your particular health problem? Uh, What does your diet look like? How much do you exercise? How much do you not exercise? What is your stress like? Where do you live? What is your environment about? Is there a high level of electromagnetic uh, fields? All sorts of factors that one would want to take into consideration when taking the right supplements. So that should be pretty straightforward. But then we want to take the right supplements for the right person. Well, African-Americans don't necessarily metabolize certain nutrients the same as non-African-American people do, or that Asians may. There are several examples of those uh, nutrients that are metabolized differently. And of course, among each of those different population groups that I just mentioned, and others, there are subgroups. In other words, we can't say that all African-Americans metabolize iron uh, differently than, let's say, non-African-Americans, unless we also recognize that among the African-American population, there are There are further differences in how they metabolize iron and other nutrients. So the bottom line is a skilled practitioner sometimes is needed to figure out specialty or the special use of nutrients among different population groups. And then there's taking the right supplements in the right circumstances. So if an individual has cancer, the type of cancer matters. I've had people say to me, well, I read that this supplement here, which is a combination of a lot of things, is the best for cancer. I, I usually don't know, what, you know quite what to say other than, well, you know there are over 800 types of cancer minimally, so I'm not sure how that bottle can possibly uh, be correct for everyone with cancer, as if cancer were one disease. And then even if cancer were one disease, once again, We have different expressions of cancer in different people. You know, when the oncologist says, oh, you have stage three cancer or whatever, uh, that oncologist is not saying that you only have stage three cancer. They're saying that the predominant expression of your cancer is stage three. But if I look deep enough, I'm going to find stage one stuff happening. I'm going to see stage two stuff happening. But we're just going to call it stage three because that's what the pathology sees. It's the most obvious thing. So once again, we want to take the right supplements for the right person in the right circumstance at the right time. So we're going to talk about nutrient timing a little bit very soon. But by taking supplements at the right time, we mean do we take certain things in the morning? For example, in the morning, your adrenal hormone DHEA, dihydroepiandosterone, is highest in the morning. So if you require a supplement of DHEA, You would want to take it in the morning. You do not want to take it necessarily in midday and or at night, although there are exceptions. And the right time also applies to the use of melatonin. Never, never, never take melatonin at any other time except before bed. If you do that, that could increase risk of cancer because melatonin may throw off your circadian rhythms, your night, daytime a balancing act of the nervous system and can throw off a lot of body systems. I have seen patients taking a smaller dose of of melatonin in the a.m., then midday a little higher, and then before bed higher still because they wanna build up the dose towards bedtime, except that's not how our physiology and uh, and circadian secretions of melatonin works. Unless you're a day-night worker, you know, that meaning you're flipped in terms of your schedule when you're up and when you're asleep. You only want to take melatonin at night. If you're just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. I'm the Director of Nutrition at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco. I'm located about an hour north of New York City. To reach me with more show ideas or for your questions, call me at 914-552-1442. All of my radio shows, lots of my articles and videos, you can find right on my website page, which is www.integratednutritionny.com. That's integratednutritionny.com. You can email me at info at blooddetective.com. And the show topic for today are common misconceptions regarding nutritional supplements, how they're taken, why they're taken, when to take them, what are the combinations, so let's continue. So, we talked about taking the right supplements for the right person in the right circumstances at the right time in the right way. And of course, as a, an individual moves through their life cycle, uh, through your life, right, from birth to death, uh, how you take things would need to change based on your ever changing needs. As the blood detective, I use laboratory, obviously, to help me figure out what people need and when they need them. And as they change, if you take a handful of supplements, let's say, and you feel better and your blood work is looking great and other testing, for example, you might find that after several months or a couple of years, that those very same nutrients that improved you are no longer correct. It's sort of like exercise, if you think of it this way. You know, with exercise, let's say weight training or running, whatever it is, bicycling, uh, your body will get to a point where it's conditioned to the exercise routine. If the exercise routine does not change, you cannot progress. And since aging is generally associated and it is simply associated with an eventual decline in fitness, uh, even brain health. So we can be doing brain exercises, body exercises. If we keep doing the same thing, we will not keep ahead of that curve. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but today I am 52 years old and I'll be posting some videos of me in the gym just to show off a little bit to show you what you can do with your body. If you take the right nutrients, you adjust them to your changing needs over time, and you push the envelope a bit so your body does not become complacent, so it can develop a new set level, so to speak, of of fitness. Now, let's talk about the right forms of supplements. You know, Nutritional compounds come in a variety of of forms. And what I mean by forms is um, biochemical um, structures, basically. So for example, there's calcium citrate, there's calcium carbonate, there's others. And sometimes, depending on your circumstance, one form of calcium may be better than another form of calcium. Overall, the calcium citrate form seems to be the best for offsetting bone loss, but I would like to refer you all to my radio show on calcium, which you'll find towards the top of my blog on the IntegratedNutritionNY.com website or the Blood Detective website. The blogs are the same, where I talk about calcium is not the problem with bone loss. It's the misuse of calcium that's the problem. As far as calcium goes, if a person takes and I'll mention more of this later but with other supplements, but if you take too much calcium for your physiology, you actually cause bone loss. Most people out there think you just you can just take as much calcium as you need, but if you take calcium in that that throws off the calcium regulating hormones and other systems, and more calcium in, the more calcium you lose, which is why we're one of the countries with the highest calcium intake and one of the worst osteoporotic uh, incidences. Now, we're talking about the right form of supplements. So, for example, if you have um, an ulcer uh, or a gastritis, which is inflammation of the stomach, or esophagitis, which is inflammation of your esophagus, you might benefit from a specific form of zinc. You know, there's zinc orotate, there's zinc uh, polynicotinate, there's zinc bisglycinate chelate, um, and there's zinc carnosine. Zinc carnosine is the best zinc as a topical in the digestive tract for inflammation and ulcers. But very few practitioners have heard of this. Why? I don't know, because the studies are there. 150 milligrams in a normal weight person is usually the therapeutic dose. It may not be all a person needs, but my point here is there are different forms of zinc. So you have a zinc molecule that's attached to a carnosine sort of side chain, it's called in chemistry. And then uh, with Let's talk about selenium. So selenium is is an immune modulator. It's a chelator. It does so many important things. And selenomethionine is probably the overall best form for most individuals among different uh, ethnic groups. But there are sometimes exceptions. And there are also exceptions depending on certain conditions. Let's talk about folic acid for a second. A B vitamin. Folic acid... In the form, in its active form, called L5 methyl tetrahydrofolic acid, is the most biologically available form of folic acid. That would be the best form for depression and and anxiety, um, certainly with most cancers, generally with all major conditions, cardiovascular disease, that I can think of. But if someone has vitiligo, which is a skin condition, it's not really a skin condition, it's an autoimmune condition that manifests as a loss of the melanin, the color pigment of the skin. So people have these white patches, sometimes in small areas of their body, sometimes all over their body. We know that injections of folinic acid seems to be the best form for that. Again, there's always exceptions to every rule. My point in bringing this up is that there are different molecular uh, forms of nutritional compounds, and different studies have determined which ones are the best for different conditions. So it's up to the healthcare provider to look over these studies, to consider this information in the context with his or her experience, and I've been doing this work for over 27 years, and when I have a patient that has complex health problems, I consider what nutrients they need in a, you know in context with a lifestyle plan, including healthy diet, but then I will always check the medical and nutritional literature again to see what are the latest things that have been found. Uh, I superimpose that among my clinical experience and what I have found to figure out the best forms of supplements for my patients in the right combinations. So now let's talk about taking supplements in the right combinations. We started off by talking about the right supplements for the right person in the right circumstances at the right time in the right way, and then we moved to uh, taking the right forms of supplements. Now we're talking about taking supplements in the right combinations. So, for example, unless you're a menstruating woman, you do not want to be taking iron supplements. You You should not also be taking a multivitamin with iron. Lots of nutrition companies have put iron in the multivitamin mixing it up with the antioxidant supplements like beta carotene, vitamin C, vitamin E, but iron is an oxidant and those other nutrients I mentioned are antioxidants. That is a is a deadly combination. You will oxidize those antioxidants by putting iron there. So, this is a very common mishap out there and also individuals that I've seen They'll come to see me. Once I I see them, I take them off these uh, poor combinations. They're taking iron with their antioxidants. Not okay. Fundamentally speaking, oxidants destroy tissues. Antioxidants repair tissues. Although you're a sophisticated audience, so I'm going to go a little further and tell you the truth. That oxidants are not always bad. Oxidants are free radical compounds that also can destroy cancer cells. Many chemotherapeutic agents act as oxidants. They also may act as oxidants on healthy tissues, not distinguishing between healthy and cancerous tissues, which is the problem. But even intravenous vitamin C, folks, does not work because it is an antioxidant. Because vitamin C in an IV... In fact, is not an antioxidant. It acts as an oxidant. So let's get back to supplements in the right combinations. We said that iron shouldn't be mixed in a multivitamin for almost no one, and iron should not be taken along with other so called antioxidants, otherwise, you'll destroy them. And we have another nutritional compound, N acetylcysteine. It's one of my favorites. NAC, N acetylcysteine is also a prescription drug. It's called MucoMist. It's used in cystic fibrosis patients because it's a mucolytic agent. It breaks up mucus. It, it breaks the sulfur bonds in the mucus and makes uh, the mucus more vis- uh, more fluid-like so you can get rid of it because more viscous mucus acts as a breeding ground for infections, fungal infections, viral infections, bacterial infections. Now, NAC, besides being a mucolytic, is an immune booster. It increases glutathione levels within 15 minutes of an oral dose. It's much more powerful antioxidant than vitamin C and E. And it's also a chelator, which means it can bind to heavy metals and uh, render them innocuous or not damaging. It sounds all good, right? But if you take NAC- N-acetylcysteine with other minerals like iron, copper, zinc, and magnesium, calcium, what you will do is bind those elements partly or fully and you will not benefit from them. So you'd want to take N-acetylcysteine at least a few hours away from any other supplements. You know, the list goes on and on and on, folks, regarding how many negative at a negative and wrong combinations there are with nutrients. There are also negative Combinations of taking certain nutrients with certain medications. There are also positive combinations of nutrients and medications or of nutrients and nutrients. So, if you have a a more complicated or chronic or confusing set of health problems, you would want to seek the advice of someone who is trained in drug nutrient interactions and nutrient nutrient interactions, and from someone who teaches these. Uh, sorts of concepts during my symposiums and seminars, I can tell you that a lot of healthcare providers out there simply do not know these basics. Maybe they got their nutritional certification online, which is going to be very basic, or, or maybe they fell asleep in class. I, I don't know. But it is, it is a real, real problem. So again, with N-acetylcysteine, if you want to improve your immunity, you want to take N-acetylcysteine, but take it away from your zinc, which is also important for immunity. But if you take NAC with zinc, the zinc will be bound or complexed or chelated by the NAC. Now let's talk about another common problem that people seem to uh, run across regarding the use of nutritional supplements, and that's supplement timing. Some nutritional supplements right on the bottles will say, take with food, take without food. And you generally want to follow that advice. Most of the time, it's correct. If you feel that you're getting a bit nauseated when you take your supplements away from food, then you should take them with some food. If you find that after you exercise, you're particularly fatigued, you may want to take an amino acid and protein mixed with a carbohydrate drink, let's say, or smoothie before your exercise. I like to sip it during my exercise and finish the drink off within 30 minutes post-exercise. That helps offset a dramatic reduction in glycogen in the muscle tissues and improves the uptake and utilization of the amino acids and the proteins so that you're not wasting your muscles. Because over-exercise, or exercise with poor nutritional timing will not maximize weight loss. It will not maximize retaining your lean body tissue, which is where your metabolic rate lives. I do a lot of work with athletes uh, and in the sports arenas, they are very well aware of nutrient timing. That might be a topic for an entire other show. Let's move on to taking the right for, um the right dose of supplements, so, for example, if you suspect that you have an autoimmune disease or you know that you do, Sjogren syndrome, scleroderma, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, Graves' disease, multiple sclerosis, diabetes type one, diabetes type two, heck, aging itself is an autoimmune disease. And it is because your tissues break down, they become unlike yourself, your immune system sees those tissues that are unlike yourself, it starts attacking them, breaking them down further, which augments and and perpetuates a more strong autoimmune reaction, and then the body is aging. So the right dose can offset lots of, of premature aging problems and deal very well in the autoimmune area. Let me give you a few examples. Vitamin E. We have all heard of vitamin E. And most multiple vitamins have vitamin E at 400 IUs, 400 international units. Needless to say that the vitamin E that you take should have all of the natural forms of the tocopherols in it. We don't just want one, one compound of vitamin E. You want all the natural forms in it. But my point with vitamin E and immunity is this. If you have an autoimmune problem, you want to take vitamin E above 800 IUs, and possibly up to 1,000 international units, because vitamin E between 800 and 1,000 international units decreases autoimmunity. I'll say it again. Vitamin E above 800 to around 1,000 international units, or IUs, decreases autoimmunity. So for autoimmune conditions, you'd want to take very high doses of vitamin E, assuming you're not on blood thinners, because vitamin E at that dose is a very strong blood thinner, which is a good thing unless you're already on a blood thinner like aspirin or Coumadin. Uh, and the the problem there is if you're taking those medications and you take vitamin E, you might have a too too thin of a blood situation. So you don't want blood to be too thin because then you increase risk of hemorrhagic stroke. Now, if you want to boost immunity in a person with a lower immune system. You want to give vitamin E at around 400 to possibly 600 international units. So lower doses of vitamin E, 4 to 600, increase immunity, generally speaking, in those with lower immunity. And with those with autoimmunity, which is too much immunity, you want vitamin E between around 1000. So we're talking about the right dose. Without the use of biochemistry and biochemical tests, it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to find out the right dose of certain supplements. So let's, let me give you an example using vitamin C. Depending on the circumstance, we may want vitamin C to act as an, as an antioxidant. So if a person takes vitamin C and they saturate their body cells they should end up with some vitamin C in their urine. So if a urine vitamin C level is checked and vitamin C is present, then we say that the person must be saturated with vitamin C. Then I do a test which checks for the oxidized form of vitamin C. If a person has a lot of this oxidized form of vitamin C and they don't have cancer, they're just you know pretty healthy otherwise, the high level of the oxidized form of vitamin C might increase their eventual risk of different diseases. But on the other hand, if a person has cancer, we might want them to have a high level of the oxidized form of vitamin C because that is the one that's been shown to kill cancer cells. Let's talk about vitamin D. If a person takes too much vitamin D, their blood tests will show that their vitamin D level is high. But is that really too much? Well, it might be. But we really say that too much vitamin D is when a few abnormal reactions happen. And they don't necessarily happen when the vitamin D level in the blood is a little high. Let's say 110, even 115. Too much vitamin D will cause calcium retention and will usually increase blood calcium levels. That would be an adverse effect, which would mean that the vitamin D should be discontinued until the calcium levels come down. It will probably take a week, possibly two weeks. Then you begin the vitamin D again, but at a lower dose. But the right dose for vitamin D implies an amount that gets the blood level between 70 and 100 because all the good studies called the meta-analysis considered together show that vitamin D levels are best between 70 and 100. The higher normal, the vitamin D, the lower one's overall morbidity and mortality from anything at all. That's a big, big statement. But if you take too much vitamin D, you can cause kidney stones because you cause the calcium retention. And you can cause a condition called hyper- Parathyroidism, where you overactivate the parathyroids. Now, let's talk about another misconception or concept that's not usually considered by individuals that are on medications that take supplements. There are many, many both positive and negative supplement medication interactions. And I'll just mention two common classes of drugs the statin medications for lowering cholesterol and lipids, lipids or fats, and the uh, SSRI medication, the serotonin reuptake inhibitor drugs that are used for depression. So statin medications uh, can and do lower the levels of lipids on blood. It does not mean, by the way, none of with a high cholesterol should be lowering their cholesterol, but that probably will be a topic of an, another show entirely. But my point here is that statins will cause malabsorption and and, and interfere with the proper metabolism in the liver of uh, beta-carotene. So people taking statins should be increasing their intake of beta-carotene and other carotenoids. But not just the carotenoids and low levels of the carotenoids can increase the risk of all kinds of health problems, but statins also interfere with the proper metabolism of ubiquinol or coenzyme Q10. And low levels of CoQ10 increase risk of cardiovascular disease, the very thing that the people taking the statins are taking them for. Statins, in a nutshell, interfere with the absorption and utilization of a large number of fat-soluble nutrients. So beta-carotene would be one, coenzyme Q10, uh, omega-3 essential fatty acids, probably omega-6 fatty acids, uh, vitamin E, K. So it's very important to know the basics of drug interactions. With the serotonin reuptake inhibiting medications for depression, if someone chooses to take these medications, they're taking them because they increase the presence of serotonin, an important neurotransmitter, which is associated with feeling good and other things. So that's why they call these drugs serotonin reuptake inhibitor medications, so the serotonin is produced in the brain and it's the, the, the serotonin is kept uh, present between the, the synapses of the, of the brain cells longer with these medications. If that individual taking SSRI medications takes tryptophan, that could cause a hyper effect or an exaggerated effect of the SSRIs, which may not be desirable. Also, if someone takes melatonin who's on uh, an SSRI, see melatonin increases serotonin. And if you increase serotonin with melatonin or tryptophan and you're on an SSRI medication, you might produce a condition where there's too much serotonin produced and that's called serotonin storm and that could be deadly. And it might and then there's another supplement interaction. Uh, regarding the use of GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid. So, GABA is a uh, comative neurotransmitter, and it, it's also a prescription drug. It's called Neurontin, and it is used by uh, psychiatrists to enhance the effects of SSRI medications on occasion. So, the SSRI medications will increase serotonin, and then the GABA increases the cell, the, the neurons' receptivity of that serotonin. So, these sound like good things. My point here is that a practitioner must guide a patient correctly with the proper use of these combinations, and you, as a healthcare consumer, must be aware that there may be both positive and negative interactions with medications you're taking, both positive and negative, as I've been saying, that you must know. Then let's talk about supplements and absorption. This is a, a, an area of confusion. We have said over and over and over again on Ask the Blood Detective that we are not what we eat, we are what we absorb, and then I further said we're really not just what we absorb, we're what we metabolize, and then I said, well, we're not just what we metabolize, but we're what we activate, supplement activation. Ultimately, it's all about activation. So people say to me, Dr. I've taken these supplements forever. How come, how come my skin is still bad? How come I still have migraines? How come I still have hypertension? Why, why do I have metabolic syndrome when my blood pressure, my blood sugar, and my blood fat is up? Why am, uh, am I eating this way and taking my supplements and I can't lose weight? How come my thyroid isn't uh, working better? How come my cancer is not responding? Well, this may have to do with the improper absorption and utilization of the supplements you're taking. For example, I'll give you a single example. You may have heard of quercetin, which is a plant element, a phyto element found in um, all variety of uh, brightly colored um, fruits and vegetables. It's it's in the class of compounds known as a flavonoid. And these flavonoid compounds, they need to be metabolized in the liver. So if you're taking, let's say, one thousand milligrams of quercetin, by the time it gets metabolized in the liver, it's only only half of it remains. So if you're trying to get a, an effect in your body of a thousand milligrams and you don't know that half of the quercetin's lost in anyone's liver, so you're basically underdosed by 50%, you'll wonder why things aren't working. And that's true of a n- number of different nutrients that during the course of their metabolism in the body, uh, small amounts or large amounts of the active elements of these compounds you're taking are simply lost. Let's move on to the next misconception. how How supplements relate to your particular problem, your particular diagnosis. You know, we hear on certain radio shows and we'll read in books and we'll hear in the media and we'll search online about different supplements and which ones we should take in different conditions. But what we see in different conditions uh, may have nothing to do with your particular condition or your particular needs. So I will often see my patients on what look like on paper you know a good supplement protocol, but once I get talking to them through a careful health history, uh, superimposing of course the experience I bring to the table, what do the textbooks say, what does the latest uh, uh, a pubMed studies say. Uh, What medications are they on? We find that their supplement list might be quite different at the end of the day, and they may have never thought of taking certain things for their needs. Uh, But that's very critical to getting results. Let's move on to the concept of, are all supplements the same? Well, you know, let's talk about, like, is all vitamin C the same? Is all vitamin E the same? And calcium the same? And plant products? Our common sense would tell us, of course, supplements are not all the same. There are different forms of them, different compounds. We've talked about that. But there's also this concept of pharmaceutical grade versus non-pharmaceutical grade. So when a company tells you how great they are, that doesn't mean anything. That's all advertising. When a supplement company describes for you the processes that they use to produce their supplements – and whether or not they use FDA-approved quality control methods, then you know if a product is pharmaceutical-grade or not. It Most people just show me the bottles. Well, Dr. Wald, I, I'm sure you want to take a look at the bottles that I'm taking. And I look at the companies, I'm saying, not really because we know that that company is very unreliable, this and that. It doesn't matter what the dose says on the bottle because that's not. we don't know what you're getting. And I've talked about this before, but... The New York State State Attorney General's office uh, a a few years ago uh, said and and did a study of um, many different supplements on the market and they determined that almost none of the bottles had what they said was on the label. We're talking some of them had none of the ingredient that was on the label. The New York Times reported this too in an article called What's in Those Supplements. I did a radio show with the very same title, What's in Those Supplements, where I talk about that, and I talk about pharmaceutical grade and all of of that. So there is a difference between pharmaceutical grade and non-pharmaceutical grade. And then there's this whole concept of how, how do you personalize supplements for your health problems? Well, again, you see a healthcare provider. They help you figure out uh, what what foods you should be eating? They help you figure out what supplements you might be taking based on again all of your all your lifestyle factors, and you generally might end up with a you know a couple of things to take to augment a very healthy diet, or a longer list of nutritional supplements, uh, because you are into prevention. You you recognize that uh, eating foods will not give you countable levels of specific nutritional factors that have been shown to reduce your risk of multiple diseases, so you decide to take your list of supplements. Sometimes, particularly when the health problem is chronic enough, when my criteria is if someone has a health problem that we know is not just going to simply go away, it might get better over the next year, but it needs ongoing care, and and that's a serious diagnosis, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's an autoimmune disease, that's when I offer what's called a custom supplement nutritional option with a patient. That means I work with my compounding pharmacists and I design very specific uh, ingredients, nutritional supplement uh, ingredients for a patient, the exact number of milligrams or grams and the right synergistic ratios because if my patient needs 50 different things, who, who can take 50 different things? I can't and I've tried. But... I can take those 50 things and put them in a combination that has them work uh, extremely well. And if you combine them appropriately, you reduce the volume of supplement needed so that a custom supplement product might contain 50 things that work like very large doses but in smaller doses. And it might reduce the number of, let's say, capsules someone takes from you know 30 a day to 10 a day or even less so there are ways of personalizing supplementation and that's based on an interview a health interview sometimes an exam laboratory work the experience of the practitioner and whether or not you're going to form a list of supplements for a person or you're going to develop a custom supplement for a patient all sorts of options are available to read more about the custom, custom supplement process, if you go to blooddetective.com, you'll see at the top of the page, the supplement link, just click on that and then you can read all about what I, what I do uh, to formerly custom products. Now this next question is a really good one and I appreciate that so many of you asked it. And the question is, how long should it take for supplements to work? Weeks, days, months, years? How long should it take? Well, when patients ask me this question, they they start to answer their own question by saying, well, and I'm sure, Dr. Ward, you're going to say that it depends and you can't really know, but but can you give me some idea? Yes, I can. Because uh, depending on my experience, a person might be recommended by me to eat a certain way and to uh, take certain supplements. And then based on their baseline laboratory work, I usually can make pretty good estimates about how long things should take to work. If I can't right away, uh, when I do comparative laboratory testing, the fact that I now have something to compare the labs to does often tell me something about the rate of time or the time it may take for nutritional supplements and other nutritional uh, efforts to work. So how long should it take for supplements to work? Of course, it varies from person to person. It also varies with the health problem we're talking about. I had a patient ask me yesterday who had a very debilitating form of MS, you know, how long it should take for supplements to work. So I asked her, I said, well, what do you mean by work? She says, well, you know, to cure me. And I said, well, you know, I cannot guarantee that. But the criteria that I do have is I would like to make you stronger, improve your coordination, your reflexes, your energy, and to manage these abnormal findings in the labs. We may never cure you. And how long it may take for all those things uh, to happen is we'll really just need to see. So each week we'll meet and we'll have a conversation and I'll reassess you. And then it should start to become clearer how long it should take for things to work. And then of course, if we wanna know how long it takes for specific supplements to work, we might check specific supplement levels or tests of how well supplements work. So in other words, I do a test of vitamin C levels, but I also do a test of vitamin C use. So the same thing with vitamin D. You know, if you take um, a form of vitamin D and it doesn't produce D three in your body, you can do a blood test to see where the problem is along that pathway. And you can you can do that with a number of supplements, but not every, not everything is based on testing. Uh, People simply want to feel better. I certainly know I want to feel better uh, at times. And uh, the thing is, supplements will take varying amount of times to produce uh, improvements. So in some people, depending on the health problem, it might be days. In others, it might be weeks, months. And still others, it might be years. It, it just depends. And of course, it also depends on you know what one's particular disease or illness is. And then, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, it's important that we change our our nutritional intake over the course of our lifespan and our health span. And we also know that the nutritional needs and how we supplement uh, individuals that are babies, infants, toddlers, teenagers, and adults is different as well. Men and women also have different nutritional needs. Uh, in terms of hormonal balances and, and the, the individual needs between specific men and women. And then I've talked on other shows about the concept of nutritional synergism. I did an entire show on nutritional synergism, how and why you want to combine nutrients in specific ways. And I give examples from the, the medical and nutrition literature about how you can put supplements together such, that as, such as, let's say, uh, resveratrol plus boswellia instead of one and one equaling two one and one might equal four in terms of the synergistic power or impact that that combination might have on someone's health problem so there are many many examples of synergism and that's a very underestimated and underappreciated part of combining uh, nutrition right in the in the time that we have remaining for the show, first I want to just acknowledge that you are listening to Ask the Blood Detective. We have been talking about common misconceptions regarding how nutrients are used, what we expect from nutritional supplements, what are the right supplements, what's the right dose of supplements, what are the right forms of supplements, what are the right combinations of supplements, how do supplements work with medications, how do, how do they, their uses change, and how should we take them differently with, given our exercise, our fitness, and if we're athletes. How should we take nutritional supplements if we have malabsorption? What are the differences between non-pharmaceutical grade nutrients and pharmaceutical grade nutrients? What is a custom supplement? And when do we know to do that as opposed to just a list of additional supplements we might want to take? What, uh, what factors uh, have to do with the supplements we take in terms of dis- the disease that we have or the diagnosis that we have? What are the supplement differences between men and women? Well, these are just a few of the things we've talked about already. And between men and women, again, in general, we know that men usually need more protein than women if they want to put on muscle. But if men and women want to lose weight, they usually both would have to increase their uh, protein intake. Um, Vegetable sources of proteins or vegan, I should say, sources of protein would be best. My point here in the few minutes we have is is just to emphasize that there are significant considerations when we are using nutritional supplements. Even combining supplements with food. And with foods, there are both positive and negative interactions. We know that fat-soluble vitamins, vitamins A, D, E, K, beta-carotene, E, omega-3 fatty acids, coenzyme Q10 they are all better absorbed when we eat them with fatty foods like avocados and raw nuts and seeds, um, oils. So very important to know uh, just that, you know, a little bit of knowledge can go quite a long way. So I'll end today's show with one last question, which is we've answered in part, but what expectations should we have in terms of What should happen when we take these different supplements? Some people, I will put on a nutritional plan and I will give them some supplements. And the next day they'll they'll say, uh, you know, Dr. Old, I don't know if it was, you know, the supplements you gave me, if they could work this fast, but my energy has been better than it's been in, you know, a year. And uh, I'll say, well, that can happen if we hit the right combinations at the right doses And other times it'll take someone else a longer period of time to feel these effects. My point though is we're all different, we're all unique, and it's very important, I believe, to have a plan of action where we have a baseline of healthy diet, we have the exercise right, we use fundamental testing along with experience and common sense and trial and error to figure out what our changing supplement needs are over time. And as a final thought, this comes up every day with patients of mine. They'll say, Dr. Wald, why don't my other practitioners, my other doctors, my medical doctor agree with supplementation? They say I can get everything from my diet. I do not need supplementation. All I'm going to do is produce expensive urine. And after I stop laughing at that because I think expensive urine is a funny concept, ha-ha, I say to the patient, I said, look, With all due respect to your doctor, ignorance is bliss. I used to get very frustrated when I would hear these uh, statements in the past and I would write long, typewritten, single spaced, you know, papers to these docs. Because I figured if I could change them somehow and educate them, I could change the world. So I'd write these things. I would expect to to get a call, maybe flowers. I don't know. I got nothing. (laughs) Most of the time, I never heard a thing. And I realized you cannot convert someone who does not want to be converted. And if someone has an ignorant view of something, well, they're going to keep that view. It's the rare individual that can break out of that. You know, One of my uh, prior partners, who's my good friend now, uh, a neurologist, he... Visited my office one day because he heard that. Uh, well, actually, we had many patients in common uh, that were doing much better than the patients we did not have in common, and he drove all the way from New Jersey to see what it was I was doing. And I'm telling you the truth. He came to the office. He observed me for the day, and he he never left. He stayed for seven years. Uh, I mean, not continuously he did eat sleep and at home but we started working together he was just blown away so this type of mind is rare once you've been inundated with traditional education and if you're not exposed to the biochemistry and health benefits and science behind nutrition and supplementation you you just how can you possibly give a uh, a fair unbiased and accurate advice to a patient. The answer is you cannot. Well, I want to thank you all for listening to Ask the Blood Detective today. Tell your friends about the show. Send me your questions by emailing me at info@blooddetective.com. Go to my website at integratednutritionny.com. And please call me. I can work with you as well, even at a distance at 914-552-1442. And have a wonderful day. See you at the next show.